million trillion trillion million 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 billion four hundred billion suns. Hello. Hey John. Hey Merlin. How you feeling? <clears throat> I'm well. Are you on the mend? I'm well. Oh. That's a Chris Walla voice. I'm well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know, I've never I've never loved that response. I'm well. Is is that's a Bellingham thing, right? Yeah, it's the it's the old uh, it's the bear trap of um of getting you if you say I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Oh, I'm well. It's just a little bit of like a You're doing oh, well or you're doing good. It's a little bit of a like a backhanded slap. It's just a light 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 kid glove slap. How you doing? Leaving no footprints. <laughs> <laughs> you <laughs> I'm well. <laughs> uh, we talked uh, a week ago, and you were in the throes of illness. Yep, yep. yep. <clears throat> you know, I'm I'm slow to recover. I'm slow to heal. You sound so much better. Oh, I feel I'm I'm 100 percent better, except that I'm slow to heal. So there's the there's probably another week of like just uh, every once in a while I'll be like laughing. At something, and a big ball of phlegm will come flying out. <laughs> That'll teach like, you to laugh. Great. Yeah, that's right. Back back into the cave another nine months without laughing. <laughs> the thing about having a child, of course, is that you laugh more because uh, children are ridiculous. Yeah. So I'm laughing all the time now. Do you laugh at your child? I laugh at her constantly. Oh. She's a, she is a total clown. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, we laugh together at what a clown her mother is. <laughs> Does she know that? <laughs> uh, I have knows? to imagine they, they pay you back in kind. Oh, they do. You know, I'm surrounded by women. I always am. And now I'm especially surrounded by women. There, there are no, I mean, there are no surviving men in my family. My, um, my Uncle Jack is 87, 88, lives in Alaska. My Uncle Junius lives here in Seattle, but I, I don't see him very often. What a great name. Uh, Junius, yeah. Junius Rochester. Oh, come on. Really? Junius Rochester. His father, Alfred Rochester, uh, and his mother, Marguerite Rochester. Oh, names used to be so much better. Mm-hmm. Junius. And Junius was named after my great uncle, Junius, who was named after his great uncle, Junius. It sounds Roman. Junius's brother, George Alfred Caldwell Rochester founded the seattle public library but his great uncle junius was one of the he was the did i ever told you the story of my great great uncle junius who was responsible for the founding of the washington state bar association because the lawyers in seattle agreed that they needed some kind of association that could censure my 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 great great uncle (laughs) they were like they were like we need to censure this man and we don't even have an organization powerful enough to do it so they founded a bar association just to give him just to dis disbar him from their bar it it seems like he would have to do a lot of stuff pretty bad over and over for his colleagues to create an organization to smite him you would think that's a lot of work but what his uh, the feather in his cap, the thing that they really uh, were were they were really up in arms about, was that he basically instigated the the anti Chinese riots 
on the waterfront here in Seattle and forced the, and you know, he and a mob, an angry, literally uh, a torch carrying mob, like marched the, the Chinese residents of Chinatown down to the docks and said, you're either getting on that boat to San Francisco or you are going in the water. Whoa, wait, what, what era is this? What, what year is this? 1890. You're kidding. That's <laughs> no. amazing. Yeah. And they, and some of the, most of the Chinese got on the boat and went down to San Francisco. Yeah. I would. <laughs> Their descendants are still probably living peacefully there. Um, yeah. That, that was at a time when the Chinese were the big scare. And my great, great uncle, immigrant from Kentucky and vet, uh, if not veteran of the Civil War, then his brother fought in the Civil War. And uh, came up here and uh, and decided to to you know bring a little touch of Southern xenophobia to the Northwest. <laughs> that line just keeps moving north, doesn't it? <laughs> in, in the form of of uh, these Chinese people cannot live here anymore. These Chinese people who helped us build the railroad, who no, who basically built the railroad and improved the West in innumerable ways, now have to go. Do you? Uh... <laughs> Do you, do you know what happened? So they, they so they formed the bar association. <laughs> was that so they, they they picked a name? Yeah. They had they had they had their uh, their salad course. <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> right. Now first order have... of business, Junius Rochester. <laughs> Gentlemen, let's oh. go ahead and move on to the Junius <laughs> issue. So, so moved. <laughs> um, well, you know, this was the Northwest, uh, and it was a small it was a small town, and I think they censured him, and then he went on to be a. <laughs> He went on to pretty sure have a some sort of dubious hand in the founding of Columbia City, a southern suburb of of Seattle. He he you know he became a real estate uh, speculator and founded Columbia City, and then I don't know he was probably hit by a streetcar or some other <laughs> Chinese streetcar, some other inglorious Northwest way of you know he was eaten by a salmon. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't. Uh, he didn't survive to. He did not survive to the era where I have a tremendous uh, volume of information about him. And, and this partly this is that my uncle Junius and uncle Junius is really a second cousin once removed, but he is. So let me see if I can describe this. Junius was ten when my dad was twenty-one, hmm. and so Junius is not quite my dad's generation. But he certainly is, he is 80 now. And, and that was his grandfather? Do you, no, Junius, his, Junius's grandfather and my grandfather were the same man. Okay. George Alfred. No, 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 I'm sorry. Wait a minute. Junius's grandfather and my great-grandfather were the same man. Okay. George Alfred Caldwell Rochester. Oh, great names. And, um... So it was Junius's great uncle or great great uncle, I think, and maybe my oh God, I can't keep it all straight. But the thing about Junius is that he is a historian and has and is a generation older than me. So he stood between me and all of the good stuff, right? So my my grandfather's no wait, my great grandfather's desk sits in Junius's living room, and every time I come over. Junius says, John, uh, did you notice your great-grandfather's desk there? And I have to uh, 
grind my teeth. <laughs> you should you should put a little post note on there for my beloved John Morgan Roderick. So you know, just think when the estate sale or the estate is settled, you know, yeah. you got a leg up. Well, you think, the, the, will you get the, the desk? Do you think the thing is, no one else in the entire family could tell you when the twentieth century was. <laughs> Right, like Junius's kids, my Susan brother is very sister. active on social media. She, she must... is, she is. But if you said 20th century, go, she'd be like, uh, 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 well, <laughs> you know. And my my older brothers and sisters, none of them care, right? I mean, the, the the desk would end up in the ocean, except there is, except there is that one little thread running through my family as through all families, which is the thread of wait a minute, John wants it, oh. Well, I also I think better, furniture grudges are, furniture grudges are pretty common, or yeah. you know what I mean. When there's a piece of old something going around, that becomes like it's it's the way like when angry people get divorced, you know they make the kid yeah. the uh, the battlefield. I think things like things that used to belong to dead people yep. or, or soon to be dead people become very hot items. Well, and this is the thing I have reconciled myself to this: the desk, the end tables, the uh, the the baby spoons. The you know whatever the, the the center from the Washington State Bar Association, <laughs> like whoever wants that stuff, if it's that important to them, they can have it. But I know that my uncle Junius has boxes of papers, all the letters, all he knows where all the bodies are buried. And Junius is that is that generation prior to me, where it is he is still embarrassed by the crimes of of our fam of the generations of our family prior right junius would never ever ever publicly admit that that the rochesters were behind the anti chinese riots <laughs> nor nor would junior no nor would junius cop to uh any of the other you know the uh, the myriad crimes against humanity that the you know and so he, junius is very proud to hold up a photostat of the of the official pardon that President Grant granted his great great grandfather Alfred. Well, see, I don't even know his name. This is the problem. And you need to unlock that archive, John. I know. And the thing is, there's an oil painting of this man in his Confederate, you know, colonel's outfit or brigadier you know, dress, blues, there's an oil painting of the man. And I don't know anything about him. And when I, when I ask Junius, it's like, he knows I want to know. And his desire to tell me is trumped only by his desire to have me want to know and not know. That's really all he has left. It's really, it's very, he's probably got, he's probably got the price of prices, right. And soup and withholding from you. It's very deep. It's very deep. That's complicated. The, at one point, my my aunt Julia Lee, Julia Lee. That's two 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 names, but one name, right? That they used to do that in names. Yeah. Uh, Julia Lee decided that she needed to that she wanted to be a member of the Daughters of the American Revolution, and she she traced our family, and she she this is you know of course before the internet where, where you had to send letters to like uh, postmasters and say, would you, dear, dear postmaster of, of, uh, you know, of, 
uh, Wide Leg, Ohio, will you send your daughter out to the cemeteries and make rubbings of all the stones that, you know, like you, you to research your family before the Mormons owned the internet was very difficult. But she figured out that my great, 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 great grandfather was John Page, colonial governor of Virginia and childhood friend of Thomas Jefferson. And so this that was, seems like a lock. Oh, it's dead on. And everybody, everybody was granted. Uh, you're, you're, many, you're, she's a daughter of the pre-revolution. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if I wanted to fill out the paperwork, I would be a son of the American Revolution. But I already feel like a son of the American Revolution, as we all do. Aren't they, aren't they very conservative, that group? Mm-hmm. Definitely the sons of the Confederacy, which I also more than qualify for, are have have taken a turn for the worse recently. I was thinking of the DAR, but I don't know anything about the SAC. I know the DAR, but not the SAC. The SAC has become an organization that is that is towing the the um, stars and bars are 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 part of our heritage line of reasoning, and so we need to keep the we need to keep the Confederate flag in the in the South Carolina state flag, All or right. we'll have or, or we will have lost our our whole it might know, appear I, that we've lost the war. Yeah, we've lost our identity as uh, as as people who held other humans in bondage. But I think the DAR is conservative in the sense that they want to keep blacks and Chinese and gays and Jews and Irish out. <laughs> that's right in your wheelhouse. But, but I mean, <laughs> you know, that's not, we didn't used to call that conservative. No, no it's really, conservatism has really changed a lot. It seems pretty conservative now by modern standards. <laughs> um, so, oh, but any in, in any case, so, Aunt Lee named her eldest daughter Paige, not P-A-I-G-E, but P-A-G-E, Paige, as in, like, to echo... That's a really the, cool name for a girl. Yeah, to echo through 10 generations back to John Page, our colonial forefather, and it's that kind of old school, like, let's not talk about the eight generations of slaveholders and Indian killers in between... Let's talk about John, our, 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 Thomas Jefferson's buddy, our, our scion, John Page. And it's like, well, yeah, I'd really rather talk. You know, my mom's, no, who was it? One of, the, one, of, one of my mom's relatives rode with Custer. So I got it. I got it all. Every, any, anybody in the States that were oppressed was at one time or another oppressed by me personally. <laughs> I owe reparations <laughs> direction. Um, think about, I don't know how you are with this stuff, but I, if I look at the patterns over the five, almost six years, my daughter's been around. If I were to be really honest with myself, the stuff that I remember, but especially the stuff I capture, I, I capture and inhale the, the successes like, Oh my gosh, look, she's walking around she's pushing a wagon. She's doing this. And I, I, I laugh along at the times that things were silly and, and one of us was a clown, but the times that people were merely disappointing. Uh-huh. Don't. <laughs> I don't know if you could say that's true of history, but it just seems like the times. Sure, the times that were they're flatly evil. We we tend to kind of want to gloss over, but you know, but but the stuff we put in the scrapbook and the stuff that goes into uh, Junius Junius's boxes, uh-huh. it, you know, it's <laughs> there's probably a lot of stuff in there where there's just like this is just one of the <laughs> half of this is disappointment stuff, and that's really enough for me to say I'm just going to keep it sealed. Yeah. Well, don't and, you think that's kind of how like a family history works. I think it is, and, and, and maybe I am different in that I celebrate the broken. 
you know, I celebrate the. You sound like Walt Whitman. <laughs> I celebrate. I celebrate the unmown hair of graves. I celebrate the. Uh, the the. Uh, I mean, really, there's no family that you you don't have that, that you can look behind three or more curtains and not find some terrible news, because human beings are are awful, you know, just consistently awful, and so. I, and I really do feel like that kind of revisionism does us a disservice over generations and over time. You know, we it certainly we, gives us a, a really skewed idea that that we're the first messed up generation. Yeah, and it happened, and it's been happening for centuries and centuries and centuries because nobody because nobody reports. Well, your uncle Al was a rapist, and right. because it you know because it reflects on you, you feel like it reflects on you, and then I think that's what's going on with Junius. Like he does not want to, and partly it is that. That I think now we're the first generation where social standing is not determined as much or at all by family and blood. Right. We live in a world where social standing is entirely uh, determined by by money, new money, and by your you know, and by like your fifteen minutes of fame, crass fame. Um, but my uncle Junius and my father and, and, and even me, I mean, I was raised still in the last vestiges of feeling like your family name was where your, was the, the locus of your honor. Hmm. And that's almost completely gone in America or in the West, maybe back East people still ask like, so what's your father do? Where does your father go to school? Well, I, I think it's it, it feels like it's something where people at the middling levels of of status are certainly not scrambling to look at, right. Whereas in the fifties or sixties, even you might really be scrambling to show how you are descended from a Virginia governor. Sure. And I think people today, if you go to your favorite uh, Yale, I think you're probably still going to, you know what I mean? In the upper classes of people, sure. people with money and people who have that lineage. Well, sure. If you've got the family tree and all that provenance and you can show it, why not flaunt it? But there's so many, I mean, even the last, I don't want to be reductive, but even in the last 40 years, the number of blended families, the number of people like, just think about what Christmas day is like for so many people who have mm. like five and a half parents. Yeah, it's like Hanukkah. <laughs> Ugh. But I mean, yeah, if your last name is Bush and you are the 42nd president of the United States, 43rd or whatever, you don't have to be a member of the Daughters of the American Revolution because the Encyclopedia Britannica has your right. family line in it. Or if you're Jonathan Colton or somebody like that who clearly came over on the Mayflower. <laughs> the the whole idea of the Daughters of the American Revolution is is for people who live out in San Francisco to scramble over one another's, you know, carcasses on the way to some cocktail party up on Knob Hill. I, I guess I almost wonder if uh, this is a little bit uh, Tom Wolfie here, but I mean, I, I'm almost thinking like I wonder if at some point, maybe around the '60s and definitely '70s, it started to be a little bit of a burden to be part, uh, not a burden, but if, you know what I mean? It used to be that you could say like, what if you're a Rockefeller or whatever, but like the thing is, if you followed that sort of lineal name dropping, like two things are going to happen. First of all, it's going to be obvious what a loser you are. 
that you're, you know, Bing Crosby the third or whatever, which is like, oh, you're hmm, not as famous as the other one. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? You work at the DMV, mm-hmm. but you know, then there's the other one, which is like nobody, nobody in America, there's that great phrase, you know, you hear that phrase born with a silver spoon in his mouth. But I think I first heard this about uh, George W. Bush, <laughs> maybe earlier that he, uh, he was born on third and thinks he hit a triple. Right. And uh, I, I'll use the second half of that phrase sometimes, you know, for people who think somebody else got something easy. I think people don't want that. I think especially in a post-1960s America anyway, people don't want to look like they got where they were because of their last name. They want it to be merit or they want it to be values or brand in some ways. I tease that word again. But, you know, I think today people really want to feel like they made their own way. Or look at somebody like there's a wonderful comic that you would love called Lock and Key written by a guy named Joe Hill who – achieved his acclaim with Lock and Key by greatly covering up the fact that he was Stephen King's son. Uh-huh. Because he knew. If you go out there, I mean, same thing happened with, what's her name? That uh, Saiyan lady. Like, you you know, if you go out there and let everybody know that you're whatever, Ravi Shankar's daughter, like, right. that's going ha- to cause strong reactions to people that, regardless of which way they look at it, are not going to be that beneficial for you in the long run. Does that, yeah. does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. You, and you kind of look like a tool to walk around going like, well, you know, well, of course you should give me my... Big Mac at a discount. I'm descended from you know Chinese haters or whatever. But but there's something else has has changed and and I think you're right that part of it is the is the is the candy flake Tom Wolf overturning of the not not just overturning but like the the change where we felt like those families were actually not just not just that the the later descendants are a weaker strain of the blood but that though that that their control of the resources and the culture has has imperiled us or that, that man, you know it's the rise of the conspiracy that those families are actually dangerous and not not to nothing to aspire to but something to eradicate but also i think as late as the 70s you know the richest people on wall street a, a a pretty rich investment banker made five times what a right. normal lawyer would make. It's like that index of what the CEO makes as a multiple of the lowest paid person in the company. Yeah, right. So so you know, like a really high powered Seattle lawyer would make fifty thousand dollars a year in nineteen sixty five, and maybe like a, the head of a Wall Street bank would make $250,000 a year. And that was just like, you know, back when, when being a millionaire was, was still really something. And, and now we live in this world where there are 27 year olds that are making $700,000 a year as investment bankers. And there isn't the premium put on not, not just old money, but, but that, the 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 bulwark that old money old families used to represent you know they were the they were the our cultural heritage or they kept you know the the membership in the yacht club was the highest thing you could aspire to and now it's like you're you know your connecticut yacht club your your dusty old connecticut yacht club like these 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 guys have got private jets and they're living in moscow or whatever so there's just no who cares right i mean Mm -hmm. probably there are 25 year olds listening to this program right now that are just like not even getting the idea that 
social standing was once largely a component of who your parents were and not at all. And, you know, and it was not that you went to Harvard and that's why people respected you and you got a good job. It was that your father was so-and-so and and that's why you went to Harvard and people respected you and got a good job. Hmm. You know, now we, now we have eliminated the, the first step. We still, we, the, we still think that going to Harvard is like, a big deal, but that seems like the beginning. I don't know. It's a, partly because that is not the same virtual guarantee of. I mean, obviously, you're, it's a pretty good start, but it's it's certainly not the same. I've told this story half a dozen times. My friend Grant's dad, yeah, I told you this when he graduated from uh, college in 1964, 65. He, the story goes, and I think you've you've heard similar stories. He walked into a Ford dealership and drove off the lot with a Mustang. Because he had a diploma. Mm-hmm. That's, I, I mean, I, I've heard, you know, there are many similar stories to that. And then the corollaries to that, which are the, hey, if you don't have this, then we're going to look a little harder at all these different things. But, you know, I, I guess that still opens a lot of doors. But um, I'm, I'm reluctant to say meritocracy. I think also there's just been a real upset. Can I use that as a word? Yeah. There's been a real upset in, in the whole way we think about status. And and even even in the time before social media, but especially especially since things like social media, or you look at stuff like you know, God, when I go to my hot dog place, and and it's every day, it's a it's like Maury Povich is on at the hot dog place. Yeah, yeah. My daughter just she, she's completely hypnotized by it. And Are people still throwing chairs at each other on shows like yes, that? Yes, and pretty much every episode episode is about paternity, and it's yeah. about whether or not this is this is someone's um, baby. Right, daddy or whatever, right. and then there's there's chair throwing, and it's mostly it's a lot of very very uh, heavy ethnic minorities uh, clowning around for what probably seven hundred bucks, but you get to be on TV, you get to be juggalos. Or do you see juggalos? <laughs> I don't know. You hear things about these like databases where you can like register. I've heard this for twenty years now that you can register in these databases to appear on things like those shows, and you go okay. in and talk about what your special liabilities are or what your what your beef is. And they, yeah. the producers go and kind of shop those, but that, that all has been so upturned, you know, to where today, like think about now Leonard Bernstein might look at the black Panthers to go back to Tom Wolf right in the sixties. Whereas today, I mean, you were talking about how you like you, you know, you, people who are making techs and tech and mix, you, you know, we might, you might really admire somebody who makes this application that you like a lot, even though you don't, you may not know how much they make, you may not care, but they're to use to, to for lack of a better word, their influence is very interesting. The, the fact that there is somebody who's 25, I have a friend who's 25 and he's on his second company. He's getting buyout offers on his second company at 25 yeah. and he's yeah. not a douche. He's just an extremely good manager and he's really smart and he's good with people. And uh, I was not, but like somebody like that, I'm very attracted to somebody like that. He'll probably sure. eventually, he has pretty good money now and I'm sure he'll have more later, but it doesn't matter what his last name is. Right. You know, it could be a made up name. It doesn't matter like where he went to college. There right. is that the merit of that is very appealing to people. And I think that's, I think that's pretty different. Whereas in like maybe in the forties or fifties, you might've looked at somebody like that and gone, well, this, uh, this, this could be, you know, like, you know, one little rose among the dandelions. You got to well, still but, keep an eye on this guy. In the forties and fifties, the, 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 the primary difference is that that guy at 25 years old might've been on his second company. But he would not have been a multimillionaire because there just wasn't that kind of capitalization right, of things, right. right? So he would have, he would be a, a wealthy young man, but he would still be sort of living in an apartment, 
in New York City. And the real achievement, you know, that maybe he would be, maybe they would write about him in the Wall Street Journal, but the real achievement would be that he would be invited to join a certain men's club. And that the people standing at the gates of that would, you know, would either vet who his father was or in the case that he was, you know, an, an, he was an incredible success, they would bend their own rules in order to, you know, like, well, I know that you, you know. Because because that, he had something, there's something about his status. He brought something to that place. Those right. places don't, you know, we've talked about this with money before. Like, people don't give you money because they like you. They give you money because they think they can make more money than they're giving you. Mm-hmm. And in instances like that, if it's about status and class, it isn't that they're trying to reward you for having arrived. They only want you there if you make them look better. Right. But at the time, there just wasn't the money that there is now. And I mean, this is... This it's it's so profound because in a way this this super moneyed class and the super money of San Francisco and and uh, downtown New York and in, to a certain extent Seattle like it is uh, it's it, there are quantities of money that transcend every other metric for every other metric that human beings use to separate one another like if you walk into that class of ultra rich there it does not matter if you it uh, nothing about you matters except that right you could if you become super rich and decide to change your gender and it and somebody reveals that your your mother was jewish and your father was pakistani and his father killed gandhi uh, all would be forgiven. There would be no that we would not look at you in the slightest way differently because our only way of looking at you is that you are worth one billion dollars. Like that's a, mm. it's a new. It is a new. Uh, the, the 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 to be that rich. That is to be so rich that it transcends race, which is which has been the primary like human problem. Right. For our whole history, to be so rich that people don't even see your race anymore is a it's a new it's a new step. And there's no club in America, I don't think, that would keep a billionaire out because he was a Jew. And that is that was not true even 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. There, you know, anti-Semitism was more powerful than money up to just like 10 years ago, really. But I don't think that exists anymore. I mean, maybe somewhere in Europe, maybe somewhere in Switzerland, down a mine shaft, there's a group of guys sitting around a table where they still won't let Soros be a <laughs> member of the, of the group. Right. But, I, but, but I doubt it, you know? It's a crazy, it's a, it's a crazy thing. I, I've been playing a game with my friends lately, which is the, what if you... What if you, I, I know you don't probably play the lottery and I don't either, but if you did, let's say you walked into a 7-Eleven and you were like, uh, give me a pack of uh, sweet tarts and, uh, and two, hot dogs, <laughs> two hot dogs with pump chili and you know what, give me a mega millions ticket. And you just bought it on a whim and let's say two days later, you, it was revealed that you had won $180 million. And so you assume that 70 million of that goes immediately to taxes. 
So now you have $110 million. What do you do? And this game is, this game really makes people squirm Mm -hmm. because their initial answers are like, well, you know, I think I probably travel and I quit my job and, you know, I think I'd try and I'd try and keep my head on my shoulders. It's like, no, fuck you. Don't, you know, we're not living in a, in a land of like pablum now. What exactly would you do first? Like, what would you do first? Are you going to go home tonight and sleep in your own bed tonight? $110 million you have now. Like, what's the first thing you do? And what's the second thing you do? And do you have a lawyer? Who's your lawyer now? Oh, you I, I, that, that's, it's a great game because it's so much more complicated than anybody thinks. First thing is, I would be scared shitless. Yes. And I would feel exposed. Oh, yes. Because a big part of the lottery is telling you who won what. Mm. That just makes you a big target. So where do you go? You go to a hotel, right? First night, you don't go home. Yeah. I, I, I mean, like, just and this, this is not the answer you want, but, like, it's, the, it's aligned with the answer, I guess, is that I would first start by thinking, oh, my God, I hope it's not – I hope it's at least a month before I completely <laughs> screw this up. Right, right. Because no, I mean, I've gotten chunks of money before and done stupid stuff, and it's, you know – I don't, I don't know. I mean, I see the, I'm with you though. People want to sit around and go, well, I take care of all the college education stuff and I, you know, uh, take a year off to go dig ditches in Ghana or whatever. And I don't think that's how, I mean, I don't know if if you gambled much, but I mean, I, I can make $500 a night playing blackjack on the computer. And then in the casino, I'm down 200 bucks in an hour. And the difference is, even if it's a dollar, even if it's a nickel, if it's real money, it's different. And anybody who thinks that's otherwise is either lying or has never had a little bit of money. Right. It changes everything. And it's just, I mean, God, turns out there's reams and reams of research about how people will put this ti- weird amount of value into a tiny little thing just because it's a game that they want to win or just because there's all kinds of crazy wiring in our heads, especially as Americans, that like, I think we are all really hardwired to make a lot of shitty decisions about having that kind of money. Yes. Yes, well, that's that's exactly right. Like, what do we value? And I look, I look around. You know, look around the room that you're sitting in right now, Ugh. and say, "All right, you have 110 million dollars. Boom! It just arrived. It's in your bank account. What do you keep of the stuff that's in your room right now? Anything? Right. I mean, what do you? What do you? If you if you move to a nice place, what of your stuff? do you bring what do you put what do you have people put in boxes for you and bring to your new house like your college textbooks i think i think 100 million is interesting but i think potentially 2 million is even more interesting Mm -hmm. because 100 million like that's of course you know people people think oh no i'm gonna go be very wise no you're gonna go buy a bunch of stupid stuff like you know but i mean the, the thing is something like like 2 million is much more scary because it would i mean you could blow that on one house yeah very easily you know, I, I've said this before on some other shows, but like, I think part of it is like people who look at other people in terms of status or wealth and, uh, they got, it's like, you know, if you had that hundred million dollar day, just go, go look in history, look in the last, whatever, 50 years of these dumbass state lotteries and go look at how many people today are really happy after they won over a hundred thousand dollars in the lottery. Yeah. And the numbers are not good because no. those people spent their entire, not, this is reductive, but by and large, those are people, they played the lottery. Right, they played yeah. the lottery. Most of those people had zero practice having money. 
And it's well, like thinking you can run a marathon. It's like thinking that you can go out and play a rock show, even though you never picked up a guitar. Any of that stuff. It's exactly the same thing, except now everybody knows you got a bunch of money. The two, the two million dollar amount is. See, that's a different game for me because I know, and you know, we know people who one day did have two million dollars. Like that is not an abstract amount of money anymore. If 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 we had been playing this game fifteen years ago, right? Two two million dollars would have been like, whoa, what would I do? That would I'd- be like somebody I met at a foundation board meeting at my college in nineteen ninety. Right. Like right. one person. Like a little old lady or something that like yeah. is clutching her pearls around her neck. I but have now, several friends that, that have sure. more money than that, and it's so, weird. So do I. I mean and, and not just people in rock and roll, but like people are people just in the in the world that made a fucking camera app, you know? But particularly <laughs> the particularly not the, that I'm jealous. A fucking goddamn camera app for a stupid ass goddamn phone. And now they're sitting around with a solid gold thumb up their ass. <laughs> okay, but, so why is the two million different? Well, the two million is different because I have thought about the two million dollar thing. Uh, uh, that is an amount that it is not only plausible that some of our friends have, you know, had sort of like the check arrive, but Merlin, it is completely plausible that you will make two million dollars at one juncture, or that I will. Like that is an amount of money that is it is possible we will see. So it's different from a hundred million because I already have seen what two million dollars does to somebody. Yeah, and makes I, your life really fucking complicated. It, get, it your life gets more complicated. But I've seen people do it well. You know, yeah. I've seen people I've seen people go through four million dollars and come out the other side with bupkis except a divorce. But I've also seen people, you know, have two uh, to four million dollars and do it and and make it, you know, come out the other side like with a high, definitely like they have more problems. Like, they have like a higher an, standard. Like an example, like the, you got to think more about just dumb stuff. You gave me an example some time ago. Like theoretically, there's somebody who your pals with and they're doing pretty okay, and you take turns picking up the tab. Right. 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 And then something happens. Somebody's rich. All other of a things happen. And then now, let's say, hypothetically, one of those people has to, for his or her own sanity, become a lot more circumspect about picking up the tab. Yes. Because people are going to start to expect that, or they're going to be envious, or whatever. Right. You know, and then you get the infrastructure and then you get, you, now you've got to like get a birthday mm-hmm. gift for the lawn guy. Oh, and if God, you don't think that's guy. real, dude, that is so, it's the hammer problem. It is. We're back right? to the hammer problem. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's now all of a sudden you're giving valet parking guys 20 bucks. Hey, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but remind me to come back to this. I was at the hotel uh, this weekend. Did you see hammer? No, but I was at the Tonga room. Yeah. I was up on the roof. What? Yeah. Yeah. So when I would tell you oh, about did, my. Did, up on the roof where I spit on the San Francisco cable car. <laughs> And then the cable car tweeted at me and I said, I held my don't, daughter over that precipice. Don't spit on me. <laughs> I thought of you. I thought fondly yeah. of you. Did she like the view? It's a beautiful view. It's a beautiful view. And she was, she wasn't, she wasn't scared. It was kind of weird. I don't know if she's wired right. Uh, but so, but the hundred million is in that. The problem is like, you know, there's a thing that I said, this is probably bullshit. Do you but, know anybody with a hundred million dollars? Mm-hmm. Yes. So, and I know at least five people, I think probably. See, see, but, that's but, crazy. but, so, but, but is the hundred, is the hundred meant to be a, in, in the trick of this trick question, is that meant to be like, you're not saying $50 billion. You're <laughs> right. not saying $50,000. You're saying it's an amount that seems large enough to seem like 
on the face of it, like you could maybe never spend it if you were never spend it all if you weren't, you know, a gambler or something. I feel like a hundred million is this amount where you easily could live on it and your descendants could live on it, but you could also squander it. Oh, like so fast. it is, it is a, it, 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 you could either establish your family name for generations with a hundred million dollars. I mean, I don't know. My father was pretty good friends with George Warehouser, and I don't think the Warehousers were worth a hundred million dollars in 1970. I mean, maybe if you if you took all the land that they owned, but I mean, a hundred million dollars in 1970 it was an inconceivable amount of money. That was like. That I was, I, inflation freaks me out. It blows my mind all the time. When they were just, I, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to call one of my one of my periodic. Please don't respond the way you, you want to respond. <clears throat> what it might cost if certain things happen in governance these days. Mm, 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 where mm-hmm. this happened in 1995, and it cost a billion dollars. And the speculation is, if it happens this time, it might be two billion dollars. I was thinking about when I was a kid, and the the most comfortable people, the wealthiest people that we were very, very good friends with owned, uh, had for generations owned a coal mine in, in uh, Kentucky. Oh, wow. And they were the first people I know. And I know this because my mom was in real estate and this woman sold real estate as well. They're the first people I knew that had a house that cost a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. It was, and this is 1977, 78. It was 100% custom. Every kid, <coughs> one kid had a room with AstroTurf and a golf like golfing oh, cut in the floor. Uh, another guy had a bed on a raised dais. Another, the girl had probably, I'd say probably a 500 square foot bedroom. And it was awesome. They had, they had wet bars. It was, a, it was something like six bedrooms. It yeah. had a telephone booth, an operating telephone booth in their, in their like rec room TV area. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, it was, was on, it, was it a, was it a British telephone booth? Like a red, <laughs> it was probably Cincinnati bell. I'm guessing, uh-huh. but it was no, but Did it they was have a complete I, Irish bar. <laughs> They actually had the country of Ireland. <laughs> they, but it was then it was on beautiful land, and they had dogs, yeah, and yeah. but they were really, bucks. but they were great people. But what I'm trying to say is like, honestly, John, I'm sorry, it does not seem like that long ago. That was a hundred thousand. Do you remember? Do you remember the first time you heard the term a billion dollars? Yeah, that's why that's when that joke started about, you know, billion with a B because you're like, no, no, I'm talking about a thousand times more than that. Yeah, right. When Carl Sagan would say billions, billions and billions, billions of stars, yeah. the word billion was unfamiliar to us. And his his coinage of billions and billions was like that the word billion you think sounded he brought like that a into science par- in the parlance. I do. Huh. It was a science word. Like it was like like the word Google, a uh, uh, Google or whatever. Yeah. Like these weren't words in the, in, in, uh, in the common parlance because like when the hunt brothers cornered the silver market in 1980 and basically had bought up all the liquid silver, all the, all the silver that was being traded uh, in an attempt to corner the world market on silver. How much money were we talking about? $50 million maybe. <laughs> Which seemed like an inconceivable amount of money at the time. Right. And they drove silver up to $50 an ounce. Now, wait a minute. I, I, I may be wrong about this $50 million, but like a billion dollars was the type of thing. It was only a term that got talked about in government budgets. And like and world population. World population and maybe 
the number of stars in the galaxy. Yeah, you're right. Million, million is like now million barely registers. Not because not because I've got that kind of money, but now when I hear million thrown out there because there are so many numbers we hear every day, it doesn't even really register like it yeah. used to. It's like there are a million notes in every one of my guitar solos. We bought a house. My mom bought a house when I was uh, when I was ten, and it was a very modest house. But it was a three bedroom house on uh, with a front yard, backyard, climbing trees. You know, it had some renovation, but needed work. But in 1976, my mom bought a three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house for $28,000. Uh, uh. Isn't that – and then, like, even – check this out. Now, even in 1999, I have a really good friend who he and his wife had bought a house and then uh, moved out here for to work at the place where I worked. He had a cor- – this is going to kill you, John. He had a corner lot in Tallahassee on a beautiful street in Tallahassee, mature trees – all around corner lot, three bedrooms, sixty thousand dollars. Yeah, in the late nineties. Yeah, doesn't that seem? And then, and then, what's funny is then when 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 my friend moved here, and we worked at the uh, realestate.com together, he would spend a lot of his days just going through all the real estate listings to find the most unbelievable thing that he could find. Oh, Merlin, here's a really good one. Uh, uh, lower Noe Valley. Mm-hmm. Fire damaged, uh-huh. tear down, four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. Anytime you see on a fi- floodplain, <laughs> anytime you see fire damaged, it's something that costs six figures. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, all of this, the the like the the way that money has become unreal has detached my imagination from the real too. Like I do spend an inordinate amount of time looking up uh, dirt roads as I'm driving on, you know, two lane blacktop in Western Washington, looking up dirt roads into the trees just to see if maybe there's a drug deal gone wrong up there. And there's a, there's a van full of money. Oh, this is the duffel bag scenario. Duffel bag scenario. Like I, it is a, it is becoming a sickness because money seems so comically unreal (laughs) that it just seems like, Oh, well, sure. There are duffel bags of money being driven down the road all around me. Did you see this thing in the newspaper the other day? Uh, the, the government in Heidelberg, Germany, went to the newspapers and said, will the person who left the 10 pounds of gold bars and duffel bag full of cash in a locker at the bus station, please come forward because... The because we we were emptying out the lockers that had expired, and we found this like these pounds of gold and suitcase full of money, and there appears to be no. It doesn't seem like it's connected to a crime, and we would just like to return it to its owner. It's like, ah, oh, are you kidding me? That that sounds like a jam up. That sounds like um, like Chief Wiggum telling you to come get your boat. You know, oh, you think so? You yeah. think so? You think it's a little bit of like, that's my money! Aha! <laughs> the jackal, <laughs> comma, Carlos. Please come collect your boat. <laughs> <laughs> the jackal. <laughs> We're trying to look up the details on this right here, because here's the, here's the other side of this. When you talk about the unreality, yeah. um, is, uh, I think, I don't know. So my father was born um, just a few months before the crash. Oh, no, no, no. 
they didn't did it. Hey, welcome this morning. Being uh, jumping out of buildings. A father was born. I want to get the right number on this. Um, but I think I, you know, unless you're like me and a PBS buff, yeah, ladies. Uh, <laughs> I think a lot. I'm guessing a lot of people of our age and younger. Are not they know they know the depression was bad, the Great Depression. They know right. it was bad. They may see pictures of children selling apples, but I, I'm not going to put. Well, you know what? I almost went, went in the bad direction. Yeah. Let's just say that stuff happened in the 20s and 30s that nobody thought would ever happen. <laughs> the first thing <laughs> that never happened were people who had a lot of money suddenly didn't have it. Yeah. The crash, and people like Groucho Marx. I, I just remember hearing that Groucho lost mom, it all. I mean, like, seriously, I think it was in less than a week. Yeah. He, he lost pretty much all of the, cause there was, cause part of the problem, again, part of the, let me get, get my uh, great historical perspective in here. Part of the very problem was what led to the crash. So many of the problems, but one of them was that people were so heavily stuffing money into the stock market because it was such an obvious thing that you're, you're, you'd be a dummy right. not to put all of your money into these stocks. Well, just like in 1998 or 1999, you'd precisely. be a dummy. Yeah, precisely. Even though, even though delivering bags of pet food via U.S. mail doesn't, in retrospect, seem like such a great idea. Hey, I've got, I've still got my Kokomo uh, fucking messenger Cosmo? bag or whatever the hell. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm thinking of John Stainless. I don't, I don't actually have a Kokomo, but those, it, are, I, those are great bags. I know it's a status symbol among a certain kind of aging. I did my Christmas shopping on Cosmo. If, if, I did my did Christmas you? shopping. Christmas shopping. They just bring it to your house. But, but I, anyway, I, I, it's just interesting to me. Think about somebody like Groucho. Um, he and his brothers, and he was, uh, you know, um, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, Chico was a big gambler and yeah, was always Chico. out of money. Uh-huh. Everybody says Harpo was a great guy. Zeppo, like nice guy. which one's Zeppo? Nobody knows. But anyway, Groucho was made a lot of dough and he was pretty good with money. And I think he had, perhaps at least hundreds of thousands and maybe millions of dollars. Let's just say that by 1930 standards, he'd done pretty well. Yeah. And then in something like, I'll say a month, but I'm going to guess really more like three or four days. It was just gone. Poof. It was gone. And then guess what? You owe money because now there's calls, Yes. right? There's stuff where you had shorted or you know what I mean? Like where you, you had a, uh, I don't know the term, but you know where you, yeah, you, you short sheeted the market. You short sheet the market, and now they want to know where's the legs. That's right. And so you and you go from being like set for the rest of your life to this looks bad to, to it's oh all my gone. god to now I owe money. Yeah, like that's it's just that, that when people sit around and go like a hundred million dollars, oh I'd go do blib blib zab zab. I'd go do all this obviously safe stuff. I mean, it's I would be tempted to put it in a bus locker in uh, Germany. Yeah, well, the, and this is the, the this is the what, what I keep coming back to, which is that money is fake. You know, money is is fake. And I, I was thinking about it the other day. I was sitting in a hotel in Portland, and I realized that something had happened. And I don't remember when this happened, but I had crossed a threshold where I no longer looked at the prices of items on menus. Like, I have crossed a threshold where. The most expensive item on the menu is no longer a daunting amount. Like, oh, is the steak $40? Is it $50? Like, I'm, I'm already committed to eating in this restaurant. And I'm going to order the thing that I want. And I am not going to order the chicken because it's $18. I'm just going to order the steak. 
and I'm not, and I, whatever the price of the thing is no longer matters. And that is a, that is a, a threshold of prosperity that I went over at a certain point. And most of us spend our lives, the menu comes and sometimes you sit down in, in the wrong restaurant and the menu comes and you blanch because you're like, Oh shit, I didn't realize. Oh, I blanched. Yeah. Right. And I have blanched my whole life. Like the menu comes and I look at it. I'm like, Oh fuck. I did not know that this was going to be a $50 steak. Let's skip wine. Let's get out of here. <laughs> you know, and you stand up and put the menu down and like tiptoe back out of the restaurant. But at a certain point, uh, whatever, however I measure my prosperity, it, it I, I now realized that if I'm going to walk into a restaurant and sit down, I'm going to order whatever the fuck I want. And I'm not, I don't look at the price. And when the, when the ticket comes, I look at the amount on it only to calculate a generous tip. And this is ev- this is firsthand evidence of prosperity. Like I I did not ever I didn't know that this was a measuring line. I yeah, never, you didn't even realize you you went from having an unconscious budget to not thinking about it. Yeah, I did not aspire to one day I want to live in a world where I can order off a menu and not look at the price. But one day I did, that did happen. Um, and so I, as I was sitting in this hotel lobby eating my mushrooms in garlic wine sauce that had been brought to me by a, by a delightful and capable server, I was saying, what is the next, what is the next threshold for me? Is it that I buy a, be able to buy a car without thinking about how much it costs? Like there are people who say, I want that car. I want the Porsche Cayman because I am a tasteless person <laughs> who wants an SUV that looks like a uh, Porsche 911. Like, I want a thing. Like, <laughs> oh, I, that sounds awful. I want... Have you not seen the Porsche Cayman? <laughs> I'm gonna. Keep going. The, the Porsche Cayman is a... It, they were like, we gotta get in. We have to get in on this SUV market, but we only make one car. Which is the 911. And so we will make it into an SUV. And it's like, no, that is a terrible, terrible, terrible looking car. It looks like... It the looks Cayman, like the Cayman he, I'm seeing looks like a regular sports car. Oh wait a minute! No, well, it's not the Cayman. What is the what is the what is the 911? Um, what is the 911 SUV? It's got a name. Sure, I'm gonna find out. Porsche SUV. Porsche Cayenne. Oh Cayenne, right? Not Cayman. Cayenne. None of these are oh, German words. God. <laughs> why are they calling? Why are they using? Why are they using Central American words? Oh, this car? is the worst of every world. Yeah, it looks like they took uh, they took a Corvette Stingray and they crossed it with a with a Dodge minivan, and then they put a nine eleven front bumper on it. Anyway, there are people that go down to the store forty nine thousand six hundred dollars for the standard model for the base model. It gets it has a top track speed of one hundred and forty two <laughs> miles per hour. Yeah, well there you go. So you can That's pick up di- you can pick it. up diapers really like, fast. Like I was walking down the street the other day and a guy drives by in a Maserati. And I was like, right, a Maserati, like they still make Maseratis and a certain small, small percentage of people still buy Maseratis. And looking at this guy as he drove by and, and, and it was not Sir Mix-a-Lot. It was just a regular guy. But looking at him as he, as he drove by, I'm guessing that he was not a Joe Walsh fan and not buying a Maserati like 
just because that was like dun, 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 dun. Just because <laughs> I love that song. He was a huge fan of funk number forty nine, and this was like the next the next jam. So people still buy Maseratis, but they have to be people that are either like betting the farm, or there really are people that just as I no longer look at menu prices, they are not concerned about how much cars cost. Like I'm going to get this car. And it is $200,000 and I'm just going to go get it. And that is a, that I, so I, do I aspire to have that be my next threshold? No, that's that's ridiculous. I'm going to posit a minority report on that. Um, So first of all, with the menu thing, now the the other thing you can do with the menu, and I've done this in hotels is to like figure out like what it is that I want based on how much it costs. Cause I probably want the most, it's one, one example where I will probably just get the most expensive steak. It was just faster for me to find the most expensive steak. Just find it's the just, most expensive steak in order yeah, and medium absolutely rare. Absolutely not a way, live. not a way I conduct myself with any other kind of thing in the world. Right. Now, as we've learned from, oh, wait a uh, you, 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 you like yourself a top shelf, uh, Nicaraguan. Who? What are those? Cuban. I'm not familiar with their work. I see. All right. Um, I, I won't go into it. Yeah, I've I've cut back on that. You can cut. You can cut this all out. No, I won't. But no, my my taste in those things is, um, you know. But, but you were willing to spend twenty dollars on a cigar. What? <laughs> um, the, uh, the no no no. But see, now that's unusual. So here's what I'm going to say about this. As we've learned from watching uh, the great Tumblr Rich Kids on Instagram, yes. there are people who are there to let you know like exactly how much it costs. So I, my, my, what I'm saying, this might be obvious, is I think some people are going to look at the price. I think if they've got the dough, they might go in and make sure they didn't get the third most expensive. Oh, I see. Model. They're getting. They're looking at the price, but they're looking at it. Because sure when these, the when these dickheads with their cars sit around and talk about their dickhead cars, yeah, and they like they're going to line up their black BMWs and talk about life, uh, you know, there's always going to think, oh, you didn't get the 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 sports mm-hmm. rim job yeah, or whatever the rim job. You should oh, you get oh, the BMW rim job. Oh, that looks that looks so great for a standard <laughs> sports rim job. I went ahead and got the Bavarian rim job. Yeah, Bavarian rim job. Yeah, it's, there's only six of them. Well, okay, you're absolutely right that that among among uh, nouveau riche and and probably among all riche there is there is price consciousness but oh, for, for the wrong riche. reason but but for me like my goal is to it would be nice to be the, and i think this is the aspiration to live more or less as i do now but to be able to have the luxury to be unconscious of money like I do not want a Maserati. Unconscious or unworried? Unconscious. I, uh, like you don't, the, you don't want to have to think about it. In the daily sort of like, I need to go to New York tomorrow. I'm going to buy a plane ticket. And to not sit and have to go, well, let's see. There's an aisle seat next to the uh, right. exit row. And maybe I can, you know, maybe I can get like the upgrade. Like to just say, I'm flying to New York tomorrow and I am buying a ticket and I'm flying. Yes. And and you know to live to live with the with sort of a base amount of comfort and be and and be like have the luxury of not pinching everywhere mm-hmm. you go. Um 
And you know, and honestly, like I think that's the, the dream. I think I think that is anybody. I think could agree. It would be nice to not have to check prices on things. Yeah. You know, I mean, setting aside that somebody tries to slip in a seven thousand dollars stake, but in an ordinary day to day stuff, it would be kind of nice uh, to you know pick up the tab without having to look at it. Yeah, and something I, think I would is, never do. But this like, is the problem nice. when you get when you get the money. Mm-hmm. What you do is you say, you, you, you what you do is you don't say. I can go to the supermarket now and buy whatever I want and not have to worry. You say, I don't have to go to the supermarket anymore. I'm going to send somebody for me. And yep. then you are, now you're paying, you're, you're, you're paying at a different level. You're paying, you're not just paying for the groceries, you're paying for someone. Yeah, and you're opening the door to where I uh, was hoping to walk, which is, you know, again, to paraphrase uh, our, our late friend, uh, Leslie Harpold, I hate buying presents for my presents, mm-hmm. right? When I get a phone, the last thing I'm going to have to do is go buy a bunch of stuff for the phone. Right. And this is, this is the entourage problem because it is, I, I, I mean, this is a poor kid point of view for me, but I think it's such a fairly small number of steps from give me the second cheapest everything right. to, to give me the third most expensive everything. Well, yeah, but I think the thing is, <clears throat> I mean, I always feel like I've had a fairly low threshold for celebration in my life. Like I can make anything into a special event if I feel like it. Oh, well, Jeff, why should get this nicer one? Because today I – whatever. But like in the case of what you're describing, I think it makes a lot of sense. Here's the thing in my experience, and this is why I struggle so much with the travel stuff, with um, you know work stuff, because a flight a flight across the United States costs $700 round trip. Yeah. Um, now, if I want to, I may not find out until the last minute, until I'm ready to check out, I might be able to get an extra nanometer of, <laughs> of knee room for $60 each way or $80 each way. Yeah, if you're no, a gold member. No big deal right there. I'll pay that. But now, now, let's be honest, that's like another 16% on top of what I just spent. Not a huge right. deal. I don't know the last time you bought business class. If business class is available, that's going to be a $2,000 flight. If it's first class, that might be a three or $4,000 flight. And so now you're back to, oh, what can I afford? Okay, well, let's just do business class. But remember, you're fancy now, so you got an assistant. So yeah. is your assistant going to sit and coach? Well, no. You want them taking your dictation and shining your nails and shit like that. <laughs> and what about the car? Well, now you got to have a. You know, all I'm saying yep. is like, I, maybe this is just like the, the limitations of my mind. But that's why the hundred million dollar question is so interesting to me. Is because yeah. like, I don't think people iterate. They don't think they do enough iterations of the future, where you go one iteration of the future. I pay off all my family's debt. Oh, that's super nice. Okay, next iteration of the future. Now your family knows you have tons of money and you have less now. Okay, keep yeah. going. Okay. Uh, well, this, this was this is where it gets. This is where it, it's such a brain teaser for people because I have had. I just I just posed this question to a lady friend of mine the other day, and she said, "Well, I mean, a hundred million dollars. It's like you're not really set for life. I mean, you could blow through that pretty fast. <laughs> Maybe not set for your life." And I was like, "Say what now? Exactly. Like, tell me how a hundred million dollars is not set for life." And she was like, "Well, I mean, you know, you just." A little bit of here, a little bit there. And I'm like, a little bit here, a little bit there? A hundred million dollars. That's a million dollars a year for a hundred years. Two million dollars a year for 50 years. And she's like, well, yeah, exactly. Two million dollars a year. Like, I would have no trouble spending two million dollars a year. And I was like, oh, huh. Look at it this way. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm totally pulling this out of my ass, but this is my postulation. Uh, Don't say it, but think about whether it's you or that lady or whoever, think about the largest amount of money that you've ever had in, in a liquid form. Like yep. you could spend this money. 
Yep. And let's say that's whatever, $50,000. Or let's say that something happened with your family, somebody passed away, you got, I don't know, $200,000, whatever yeah. it is that, uh, that you would rush to go do stuff with to like, uh. Yeah. But I think if you give somebody more, I mean, I'm making this up. If you give somebody, let's call that their, uh, their GLE, their greatest liquidity event. If you give people three, the GLE, if you give them three times their previous largest liquidity event, it might as well be a zillion dollars. I don't think for, I'll just speak for myself in time, for myself with money. Like if it's more than a certain amount, you know, if if you ask, if somebody asked me to do something tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., I'd say no, because I'm like, I'm busy. Somebody asked me to do something some morning at 8 a.m., five years from now, I'll probably say yes. It's exactly the same amount of time. It's just that that's a million years away. Of course I can do that. And in that same way, a lot of those folks, though, they get three times their, uh, was it GME? GLE. GLE. Yeah, I'm thinking of the high school test. (laughs) One one extended weekend in Las Vegas, not spent well. Yeah. You could drop, you could, you know what, I'm going to say this. I think you could drop $100,000 in Las Vegas without even trying. Oh, you would just you'd slip on a banana peel and it's gone. You know, let's just even say you go to like $100 tables in blackjack, but again, everything starts moving up. You know, yep. they, they may comp your room. They're not going to comp you Cristal. Oh, we got to get Cristal. I'm rich now. Right. So now you're setting this new pattern. And it's like, you know, it's you're still that same person. As I like to say, wherever you travel, the old you comes along in the suitcase. Well, and this is this is part part of what I what worries me is that my greatest liquidity event was in 2008, I had $130,000. Why are you telling me this? Because this for, the, for the part, for the point of, for the purpose of uh, uh, illustrating this story. Okay. And it was a combination of, the TV well, it, was, ad? it was all this money that I made as a rock musician. And what did I do with it? I didn't work for five more years. Like I did nothing with it. I have spent the last five years not doing anything except drawing down on <laughs> that from your own inheritance. Yeah. Like <laughs> you basically I, inherited money from yourself. I, every day I go on my favorite website, bring and I look at hot rod cars and I go, Ooh, That'd be a cool car. Ooh, look at that. That'd be a cool car. And a great number of these cars are affordable to me. You know, they're $15,000 for a, a certain kind of hot rod or, you know, $10,000, $20,000. And I've been looking at these cars the entire time when I had a, a, a veritable fortune. I mean, and I had this amount of money in the bank. This wasn't like money that was promised to me. I was still earning money. Right. This was money I had in the bank. And what did I do? I just kept living like I'd been living, which is so fucking easy. I go to New York. I go to San Francisco. I go to Portland. I go to wherever I want to go and I stay in hotels and I eat food, but I did not increase the amount of luxury. Oh, I see. I misunderstood you. Okay. I did not start spending more money than I had ever done. And up until that point, I had been living on, $20,000 a year. And I continued to more or less live on $20,000 a year because, you know, I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't 
you know, I don't buy, uh, I think you can't discount gambling. Gambling is the secret shame thing. I keep learning more and more people where gambling was just their undoing. Yeah, I don't gamble. I do not. It's it's in a way it's worse than in a way it's worse than drugs because in the sense that like you know if you buy the most expensive big old bunch of cocaine in the world or heroin or whatever whatever's expensive, you know if you did all of that in one night you would die. Yeah, or be very very ill. But you could spend 50 times more than you've ever spent on gambling in one night just because you felt like you were hot. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. There's, there's get, no upper limit to that. You will, you will regrettably still be alive when that's done. But I don't, but you know, I don't like it. And so, right. So my concern is that if, I mean, th- and this is why I pose this question to everybody, is that I'm legitimately worried that if I won $100 million, or if I earned two million dollars, this is the hundred million dollars is like if I won a hundred million dollars, I would not keep living on twenty thousand dollars a year. I would definitely like <coughs> up my game a little bit. But if I made two million dollars, if some if for some reason I uh, made a good record, or I sold a book, uh, you know, made one of those two million dollar books, or you know, was it, for whatever reason became an entertainment property such that I earned two million dollars. I'm very worried that I would just put it in the bank and stop working forever and live on the same sort of 30 grand a year. That's a nice worry. But you know, I, I, I want to be more, I want to be a little bit more flamboyant or, I mean, I would, I feel like go I, get a, I, go get an expensive watch at the very least. My, my analysis from afar would be, if I hear what you're really saying is that, you're not making as much stuff as you'd like right now. Right. And if you had a hundred million dollars, that's really all the reason you need to not make another thing again. And that's the last thing in the world you need right now. Right. Am I close? But, Does that mean? Yes. Yes. But I cannot, but I cannot say to myself, your, your poverty is a blessing and you know, you're going to, you need to, you need to get back to the place where you do look at the prices on menus but not not from the perspective of a 24-year-old living in your artist garret, but from the perspective of a 45-year-old who is feeling like tightening his belt, that is what you need because that might make you pick up the pen and go back to work. And work is what gives life meaning. And hmm. s- sitting and watching the... Sitting on, on your front porch with a, with a mug of coffee, watching the sun arc across the sky is not how you should mark your time on this planet. And it's what I've been doing for the last five years, watching the leaves change because I didn't have to worry. And I didn't have that much money. I mean, honestly. Right. Right. By, by comparison. Sure. I mean, there, uh, that is not really that much money to live for five years. That's pretty remarkable. Yeah, but I, but what do I spend money on? I don't spend money on anything. I spend money on every once in a while I go eat in a restaurant and I don't look at the menu. The rest of the time, I mean, I get, I get somebody gives me a bag of coffee and I'm, and I make it and I sit on my porch and I watch the leaves change, <laughs> and then it's 2010, and every once in a while Hodgman calls and says, "Want to do a show in Portland?" and I go, "Sure." <laughs> And uh, generally, he buys the train ticket, so I didn't have to spend any money. <coughs> I got to get into your racket. That's a good racket. Well, except, like, 
That's and just I'm, enough activity to keep you thinking you're working. Yeah, but uh, but I know I'm not. I'm I know. I, mean, I didn't mean that disparagingly. I suffer from the same thing. You know, I feel like if I can make a tiny little, uh, you know, lasseur pea sized poopy, I've really succeeded. You know, if I, <laughs> if I create anything at all, I'm like, yay me! I get a cookie. It goes back to I think uh, uh, like the 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 like a foundational idea that I had as a young person, which was that money was money provided leisure. And if you had money, then you had the, then you had leisure. And so leisure is the highest purchase. Mm -hmm. Like that is the, that is the most valuable commodity. And yet I have leisure in abundance and I do not feel rich. Well, I mean, to state the obvious, it's, it's hard to appreciate the leisure if you don't also have the work. In other right. words, a day off doesn't mean as much if you weren't, you know, doing, right. doing something that you didn't want to have to do, or for that matter, that, that you wanted to do, I suppose. Leisure increases in value uh, it, uh, only in comparison to work or, or like ultimate leisure. I mean, this is the, you know, my sister went on foreign exchange her junior year in high school. She went to St. Lucia which is an island in the Caribbean, at the, south, the southern part of the Caribbean. And she came back from St. Lucia from a year there, speaking with a kind of patois, a lilting um, Caribbean patois. And she said, you know, man, I mean, she was a junior in high school, blonde, blonde junior in high school. She was like, we work too hard up here, man. We got to just relax. And I was like, it's casual. I was like, okay, okay, Rasta man, check, check it. But, <laughs> but it, it had a profound effect on her at a very, at, at, at a very impressionable age. She went to a, 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 an island where the breadfruit fell from the trees and the culture on St. Lucia was very much like, what are you stressing about? You know, relax and enjoy yourself and just, you know, hang out, go to the beach. Like, and she brought that mentality back to Alaska. And up until that point, she'd been a real striver in her classes. You know, she'd been a straight A student. Was she skied? Is that what it was? She was a uh, competitive skier. She was a, she was competitive at everything she did. And she was a real go-getter, like a natural born go-getter. And it wasn't clear to her what she was going to get, but she was just, chasing the dragon you know like so many of us in this culture are taught to do like you know get up go 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 you gotta get into the school and get into the place and then get the job and go go and she went on on foreign exchange and she came back and she was like it's all baloney our whole rat race is baloney and all we have to do is just sit on the beach and wait for the breadfruit to fall from the trees but she did not live in st lucia she lived in alaska there is no breadfruit. It does not fall from the trees there. And, and it, and it became a schism. It was a, a, that experience in her life was actually, it actually became a schism in our family because there, you know, there was no, we, we weren't, we weren't able to moderate our, um, like what our aspirations were anymore. As people, you know? it would be almost like re- rejecting the family's religion. It's like she—it's so outside the paradigm of, of how you can deal with people. Yeah, that would be right. I mean, it's kind of disruptive to how your family's organized, almost. Yeah, absolutely. Like it wasn't a question of 
I mean, neither Susan nor I were going to go to Yale, but that meant that we would try to get into a really good state school like University of Washington or University of California, you know, and that was a place where we could, where, where our, where we could maintain our pride at least. But Susan went to the University of Fuck It down in Durango, Colorado, Fort Loser College in Durango, and I think registered for classes and then withdrew from class a week later and took the and got the refund for her tuition and bought a season's pass at uh, like Telluride or Bridger Bowl or somewhere and spent the whole season uh, smoking pot on the chairlifts. And it was just like, whoa, 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 that's not how we do. And she was like, hey, man, <laughs> I'm feeling hiry right now. So, <laughs> ja Rastafari. I and I ski I. <laughs> and it was like, no, no. I, I what can't the- even listen to a joke version of that kind of talking. It makes me, <laughs> it makes me livid. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, what do you, what do you do? And, and I, and, 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 then I had to reflect on my own version of that, which was, you know, a kind of like my version of it was from, from Huesman's, you know, it was a, I, I wanted a, I wanted a turtle covered with, <laughs> covered with jewels. And I want to watch it eat another turtle covered with jewels in an aquarium of my own design made of leather. <laughs> That book is that book is fucked up. It's really fucked up. But you know, that was my version of leisure as reward or leisure as as highest luxury. But you know, in uh, upon reflection, I somehow uh, subverted my own ambition. I mean, what am I what would I fight for now? What am I fighting for? Who do I care? recognizes me what club do i want to be a member of who you know who what what if not for money or status why work it's too abstract to work for its own sake or to work and i mean and i know that there are people right now who are saying for others for others work for others I got an answer. What's your answer? I mean, it's it's not an easy answer, but you work so that you can do the next project that you'd like to do, which will help you learn the next project that you'd like to do, and you can afford to take the 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 ticket to go somewhere where you may not make as much money, but it's the thing that you wanted to do. It's not a matter of just to me the leisure part of it. I guess if any at this point in my life, life if anything, I wish I had more money. I'd love my family to be more secure, but I'd also love to not have to worry about stuff like oh, well, there's not a lot of money in this show but we'd like you to do this and just be able to do that. And then you go and you meet people and you become more out there and things like that. But, but you know, in another way, it, you could look at it like anybody else who's made anything good out of a bunch of money, which is they learned how to find new opportunities and what they were doing, not just to make more money, but you know, if you start giving money away for good causes, you meet more people who need money for good causes and you become a manager of that stuff in some ways. I think, you know, I think we run into trouble when we start feeling like, you know, we're on the end of some kind of a string. You know, it's just that, if, you know, it's just if you had a clearer sense 
right now of what it is you wanted to create, this would not be that hard because you'd just be able to say you could go out and you could produce a movie. You could go out and just go approach a filmmaker and say, I want to write a uh, soundtrack for this. Or you could say to somebody, hey, you know what? I really like uh, Fago. I want to do a commercial for you. Something like that. That's the thing is, is giving feeling – to me, that the, the ultimate goal would be to feel empowered – not empowered to feel fearless about going and, 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 and like seeking out the projects that you'd like to do. And if that doesn't work out, there's three more you could do. That's, that's freedom to me. It's not, yeah, it's not the that, ability to go out and buy four cars without looking at the price. It's the ability to know that like each failure gets you closer to the next cool thing that you do. But it presupposes that I am interested in, in human culture. That's true. Or, you know, that I want to be a member of it. You're interested in human culture. I mean, I'm interested in it because I that's don't an easy out. You know, you are. Because I don't have access to any better cultures. <laughs> you should work with Elon Musk. I should, and we should go find some smart people out in space. <laughs> That'd be a hell of a trip. The Me search for intelligent, yeah, search for intelligent life with an extremely narrow definition of what intelligence is. Yeah. So if you find life, but if it's somebody who's got like a sixty-five IQ, you just you, you ice them right there. Or you know, you find life, and it's even it's a hundred and twenty IQ people, but they're like all talking about Sammy Hagar records. Or, <laughs> you know, life you know? check intelligence. <laughs> I was I was I was I was thinking about this the other day. Sammy Hagar and uh, Guy Fieri represent a kind of. <laughs> A Dionysian human brand, right? There is a whole sub level of like. Do they, Fer- work, they don't work together, do they? They're like Ferengi humans, <laughs> who's who are all wearing flame pants and high top tennis shoes. <laughs> they wear their glasses on the back of their head. <laughs> With their glasses on the back of their head, they wear their baseball caps on backwards. <sighs> Chad Kroger is one of these people, like. There, and you can see when, once you start to recognize them, it's like it's like a they live scenario where you're like, oh, that's a Hagar. Oh shit, there's a Fieri over there, and it's a whole it's a whole class of humans that are living among us, and they they you know they look like Pan, you know they have. I'm sure oh, they that, do look like Pan. I'm sure that Guy Fieri and Sammy Hagar both have very hairy calves. <laughs> And maybe cloven hooves. And they just want to drink wine and party and have a good time. And I don't think they're dumb. What if those beards can't be shaved off? That's right. They have little goat beards. Yeah, right. They look like fucking pan. And they are like pan men. Pan men. And they're living all around us. And I think, I suspect that they are having a good time. They are living on the same planet as me. And when when I'm around Guy Fieri and, uh, and Sammy Hagar people i feel like one of those tall ghosts uh tall like shadow um like elders or whatever like in a in a gray cloak who are living in a in a in a cold hall and the, <laughs> like at a long table yeah and the pan people are out like like smearing crushed grapes on their naked chests and like <laughs> drum soloing or whatever and you I'm, can't snowboard in here <laughs> i'm i'm somewhere you know it's like me and fee waybill and uh, fee waybill he's another one he's another one of the, uh, the pan people you think he's a pan person fee yeah for sure but you know i i don't want to be one of the i don't want to be one of the grays i think george w bush might be a closet pan he's a little bit of a pan he's isn't a little he? panny yeah 
And, I know, you know exactly what you mean. Like we say, we disparagingly write these men off as douchebags, and they right. certainly are. Right. But there's much more to it than that. There's yeah. there's so much. There's the 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 kind of uh, those uh, those printed uh, shirts with lots of like graphical designs on a button up shirt. Or let's say let's say a suit jacket that someone has stenciled a dragon head on one <laughs> shoulder. Yes. Yeah, and then reso- it was like a thrift store jacket that they resold you for $200. What if, okay, so the twist is in They Live, uh, uh, Rowdy, uh, Rowdy uh, McDowell uh, finds yep. the glasses and he's I, able to see the skeleton people. Correct. What if they wear their glasses on the back of their neck because that's where their actual eyes are that lets them Hello. see the other pan mans? Hello. So what I'm saying is Elon Musk and I go flying around. Let's say we we... we accidentally like we went into a wormhole but it was accidentally wasn't a wormhole it was just a cloud and we came around and we landed on earth banging on the dashboard <laughs> <laughs> we landed on earth and we thought we had found another place and we landed in cabo san lucas <laughs> and we got out of the spaceship and we're like we're on a desert planet and look a village and we walked over and it was full of sammy hagar's this place identifies itself as Sammy's Salty Rim. Yeah, and they're all they're all eating ribs and drinking margaritas and <laughs> making like, souvé. Just all, all, all kind of like like people who are on cooking shows, people who are on uh, in uh, uh, briefly in Van Halen and Rachel and, Ray, Rachel Ray, <gasps> Rachel Ray. Right, she's a Pam person. Shh. You ever heard her talk? Her voice does not sound like you would expect. In fact, now that I think about it, every single member of Van Halen is a pan person. <laughs> every single one. <laughs> every member of the Scorpions is a pan person. This is starting to get fucking creepy. You better be fucking ready to rock and roll. No wonder I feel like one of the greys. I wish I could I wish I had not seen this. I want to I want to unsee this now. I want to go yeah. back to just wishing I had money cuz now this is the thing is it used to be something you know you get those vague feelings where you know there's something there but you you don't have the time or the inclination to put it together now yeah. I can't undo this this is this is yeah. a chart on the wall for me now that's right well and I'm saying if Elon Musk and I landed on this planet and and landed on the wrong side of Cabo San Lucas we might take off again and nuke the place feeling like we can't let this virus spread right but in fact it's it's like half the population of the of human beings. Would you not have half, a Would you have a, a prime directive with uh, with Captain Elon? Would well, you? Uh, Elon's got a lot of his own opinions. I'm sure I would have to negotiate something with him. Mm-hmm. You can only have one captain on the ship, John. Yeah, and I mean, I would have to. I'd have to guess that he he's not going to be my Scotty, but it would be one of those things where he would, you know, he'd start off as the Spock character, thinking he was the commander of the Enterprise, and then they would realize that I was the that I was a born commander and that he would eventually become my first officer. I think a good manager knows what they're not good at. Yeah. 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 And you know, you can use logic. You can look for, you can look to open markets, but at a certain point you're going to need a guy that's willing to make the hard choices that does not believe in no win scenarios. And that's me. Kobayashi Maru. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Pan men. Pan men. Pan men everywhere. There, but they're not every. It's like ten percent. I think ten percent of the people. Oh, you should go to our. You should go to our mall, buddy. One hundred percent of Van Halen, but ten percent of like <laughs> the Pan Man Band people. Uh huh. You think DLR? DL, oh, DLR. Sh- he, he seems like he could be a Pan Man. Sure. Yeah. They, uh, David Lee Roth actually has cloven feet. I mean, think <laughs> name a name a rock musician like. 
uh, definitely all of Aerosmith. Pan Men. Pan Men. Um, oh, the Eagles. Ugh. Pan Men, tons of them. But Pan Men that have adopted some kind of sad, like, like this, you know, who else is a, is a sad Pan Man? Eddie Vedder. <laughs> Eddie Vedder, sad Pan Man. <laughs> I got a call for it and a straight <laughs> situation. <laughs> <laughs>